This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. Dave here. I am so excited to be able to introduce you to, if you're not already introduced, my goodness, my friend, uh, an amazing human being, uh, a powerhouse of a woman. Her name is Lisa Bilyeu. She is the co-founder of the billion-dollar company Quest Nutrition and the co-founder and president of Impact Theory. She is the host of Women of Impact, a show featuring women who have overcome incredible hardship to achieve massive success. Her mission on this planet is to empower all women to become the heroes of their own lives. Let's go, Lisa. Uh, She also happens to have her first book, an incredible book. It's called Radical Confidence. It is just out. It came out on May 10th, and it is an inspiring and laugh-out-loud guide to building the kind of confidence that it really takes to live the life of your dreams. Without further ado, please welcome Lisa Bilyeu to the Rise Together podcast. Hello, my friend. What up, Dave Hollis? What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us? think like us, or live like us. I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. It is so nice to see you. Uh, If you've not seen Lisa before, you will always know exactly who it is when you see her because, man, I love one thing. I mean, I love everything about you, but one of the things that I love about you is that you are you. Mm. I mean, you are just you, and whether it's your hair or your clothes, your jewelry or anything else, there is just something of confidence that just radiates in you owning you, and it's part of... It's part of your calling card. It's part of what I love about you. Uh, I know we're going to have a conversation of how that has morphed and changed over time, but um, it's just so good to see your stinking face. Uh, I just gave the very quickest of overviews of a bio, as it were, but in your own words, can you give the listeners who may not yet be familiar with you or your work a little bit of who you are and why you're here? Yes. Thank you, Dave. Um, I am Lisa Bidu. <laughs> And um, a really quick recap, I think, is the biggest thing that I'm most proud of is I spent eight years of my life doing something that I thought I should do. And that was to be the stay-at-home wife, to take care of my husband, to cook and to clean for him. And even though I had big, massive, wild, audacious dreams when I was a kid to come to Hollywood and make big movies, um, I ended up slipping into a pattern of looking after my husband and cooking and cleaning for him. And in that eight years, I called it the, I was living in the purgatory of the mundane. And that meant that I never hit rock bottom. So many people, so many incredible 
humans that I've interviewed have all done amazing things when they've hit a rock bottom because they feel like they've got nothing else to lose. And for me, for eight years, I didn't. And so my life was just mundane enough. And I never felt like I had the confidence or the right to ask for a different life, to ask for more. I felt like I was, um, every time I would think I'd be sad about the fact that I'd lost my hopes and dreams. I used gratitude as a reminder of how amazing my husband was and how amazing the roof over my head was, you know, and who do I think I, you know, was to ask for more. And I use that mindset every day. And the gratitude piece really did get me through the hard times. And yet it ended up being that one of the things that kept me stuck for eight years was because I didn't feel like I could ask for more. Um, And then very quickly, flash forward, my husband starts a new company called Quest Nutrition. I, as being the traditional Greek wife, was like, babe, how can I help you? Like, can I, you know, what can I do? And he's like, I just ship a couple of bars from your living room floor. Um, And we just handmade bars by rolling pin uh, with rolling pins and knives. I was like, oh, I can do that. I'm, you know, good supportive wife. What we didn't expect is that the company would grow at 57,000%. And within that growth, Every single day I was facing obstacles, hurdles, and I kept telling myself, but I got to do it. I got to do it. Our house was up for collateral. So I kept saying, you know, if you don't figure this out, you lose your house. If you, you know, you're in a room where you feel like you're the most incompetent person and you don't have the skill sets like everybody else does, but you have to figure it out at least otherwise you're going to lose your house. And in that process, in being challenged every day, in falling on my face every day, in seeing failure, Every single day, I realized what I was capable of. And it was in that growth, in that evolution, that really pushed me to to think about what else was possible. And that is basically what took me from being a stay-at-home wife, supporting my husband for eight years, to helping build a billion-dollar company, Quest, to then building Impact Theory, which um, now I've used over 500 million in our ecosystem and uh, have my own show, Women of Impact, and haven't written this book. So cool, so crazy, so wild. So the the eight-year window is one that at a certain point, the whisper, whether it's intuition or knowing, like starts to really make some more noise. Uh, you're, you're at a certain point engaged in a conversation saying, hey, I do think that it's, it's time for me to step into something. Or was this a conversation during the eight years that was coming up. I, I, I'm going to imagine that it was something that happened later in the eight years than earlier. But can you talk just a little bit if someone finds themselves like in that things are OK, like it's, you know, I'm just settling for it or being OK that uh, I can still be grateful mm-hmm. with where I am, even if I have sacrificed some of my dreams. Was there a, a point at which you realized, man, I'd be crazy not to make the jump. I have to have a conversation or was it something that you guys were talking about all along? No, it literally, I, I only slipped into it because I was helping him build Quest. So it was, he, we would, it started off, but let's just make enough money so we can make our own movies. So for the first year, as you know, like I was just like, oh, it's all in the greater good of making movies. We're just going to make a bit of money. It's just going to be for a year and a half. And then that year and a half comes and goes. Of course, we didn't make enough money to make movies. What a surprise. <laughs> um, and so we do another year and a half and we do another year and a half. And when I look back now, I don't know about you, but how many people listening right now have said that they don't want to make the years they've already put in a waste? a quote unquote waste. I want to punch myself in the face, Dave, because I'm like, I would rather put more time and energy into something that doesn't fill me up, that doesn't light me on fire because I'm so worried about looking back at the years that I feel like I've wasted. Like that is so crazy to me, but yet that is what I was doing. And it was something that I call, like I had to start killing the 
squirrels. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, the movie with the dog and it's like a squirrel comes like, oh, squirrel. And it's like the best distraction ever. How many squirrels do we have in our lives? How many things do we use as distractions so that we don't actually look at what is happening? And so I had to, over time, as I was waiting for the when to come, when we have enough money, when my husband is happy, when we can make movies, I'll be happy. When, 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 when. As I was waiting for that, Quest came along and threw me into the deep end. And that deep end was like, well, Lisa, you're going to have to learn how to swim or you're drowning. And in that... In the face of, oh my God, we're about to lose our house. Oh my God, my husband's relying on me. You're a good Greek wife, Lisa. You can't let him down. In that is where I was like, wow, I didn't realize what I was capable of. So when I hear, think about that person sitting at home now that hasn't hit rock bottom, I never hit rock bottom. What is that thing that is going to shake that person awake or that to realize maybe they're not living the life they want because we can convince ourselves very like rationally convince ourselves why are we doing what we're doing it's for the greater good yeah and now the question is what if that never happened what if that never came would you still be doing what you're doing right now we get i mean i i always talk about it in in terms of being pot committed it's a poker and oh yeah yeah, right? yeah yeah i literally Right, you've got so much money invested in this hand that folding the hand because of what you've already invested becomes bad from a math perspective. But life isn't a game of poker, and the logic that's involved in staying invested in something that you know is now a losing hand is a losing proposition. And yet here, you know, your your situation is not a unique one. I've been in plenty of situations that I've stayed inside of or been in situations where uh, like even just the idea of admitting that I needed to do something new or reaching for and, and getting help or doing something that was going to have to deviate from what I'd already said I was up to felt like, man, I've there's so much invested. There's so much already mm-hmm. stated that this is the direction I'm going that a lot of times it's ego. That's like, oh man, I don't want to have to now confess that I was wrong for as long as I've been, that this is the right thing. Um, but man, there's such freedom when you actually are able to be honest about it, release it and put every single day and every single bit of energy into whatever it is that is next and new. I'm going to assume that now you, I mean, I love you guys and I love the way that you have approached your business and the way that you lead your teams. There is something in all of it that um, one is different, frankly, than the way I have done a whole host of things. And I love that that difference is a thing that works inside of your ecosystem because I learn a lot from anyone who does anything differently, but also you're entrepreneurs. And the idea of going from being someone who's staying at home and supporting a husband to someone who thrives inside of this entrepreneurial space I can't imagine that it was something that you, you know, had as a young human necessarily, but it seems like something that is just like such a fit. Like, is entrepreneurship a bug that you catch? Is it because of proximity to someone who was an entrepreneur that it over time became something you felt drawn to? Or uh, is it some, somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think, um, you know, we will talk about passion and desire and mission. Um you don't just find it. You don't just like stumble on it. I think you have to try new things and you have to see what really does fit. Like Tom once said this and it hit me so freaking hard. I'm going to see if I can remember it clearly. He was like, a passion and a mission isn't an archaeological dig. You don't just like keep digging and find it. He said, it's an uh, architectural build. You have to put one brick 
on it at time. That means you have to try something. You have to try something else. If you like it, you, you lean into it more. You put another brick on. You're like, oh, maybe I like this. You put another brick on. So it becomes like this, this build. And that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't realize I liked this. And the truth was, there's still some parts of business I absolutely hate, 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 hate. Um, but I never really understood what a mission was until I found it. So in building Quest, as we were doing that, I literally just thought of myself still as a great supportive wife. And I'm just doing this to help my husband. I don't want to lose my house. So this is my role as in the relationship. And so as I was doing that, and as I started to realize all these challenges that I was facing that I had to figure out for myself, that I would never maybe turn to Tom in the past, right? Hey, babe, can you help me with this? He wasn't around. He was looking to me to help. So I had to solve it. That made me feel really good about myself. And then something really interesting happened, Dave. Over time, the building of the skill sets, the building of my mind, the changing and the growth of realizing what I was made of, not what Tom could help me do, not what my parents could help me do, but what I did on my own, I started to go, wow, maybe I should think more highly of myself. Yeah. Because I had such a negative voice in my head. And that thinking highly of, like thinking better about myself started to lead into seeing the results Result of what I was creating. And it wasn't just internal. So there was a moment where a parent wrote a letter and this is very early on. So I'm still in our shipping department very early on. A parent wrote in and basically said, I have a type one diabetic son and he cannot eat sweets. And I feel like a terrible mother. Every time time he's at birthday parties, every time he's at any event, I'm literally having to rip out the cake from his hand. He doesn't quite understand why, but I have to protect him. And so I have to keep taking this out of his hand, his hands. And he's like, but when he eats Quest bars, his blood sugar doesn't spike. And so she said, thanks to your product, I feel like a better mother. Ooh. That, that goes beyond just like, I'm saving my house and I'm helping my husband. And then there was one other message that my, um, that we got that was from a lady who was around 40 pounds. She was anorexic and in hospital, like literally on a freaking deathbed. And she had evolved. She found Quest Bars and she wrote in and said, thank you for introducing me to calories again. Because of your product, I have now um, found peace within calories. And now I can start eating again. And now I've been able to really start to work on my mindset um, after my anorexia. Wow. And so, dude, that stuff becomes real, real quick. Yeah. And once that starts to happen, once you start to really get emotionally connected, because I've had a very unhealthy relationship with food my whole life. I've seen my mom have, you know, be borderline anorexic and then flip to um, become clinically obese. And so I've seen people in my life that have been wildly impacted. And so this thing that I was starting, that I was just helping my husband out, all these obstacles that I was overcoming turned into what I now see as a mission. And then in those moments where now I had a mission and I faced obstacles or challenges or faced things that I wasn't actually prepared for, I just said to myself, "Do going back to what you said earlier about ego, what would you rather? Would you rather let your ego take control and say, oh my God, you don't know how to? Or would you rather say, sorry, ego, I'm not going to let you drive. My goal and impact is more important. And that means facing yourself, facing the obstacles and doing it anyway. In that you did not start necessarily as someone that was in this business as much as a supporter of the business operator mm -hmm. as you're integrating into the business and still interested in making out. 
how how did you negotiate the here's my role, here's your role, how do we keep their, you know, something of some boundary or, 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 or lane markers so that uh, my coming in here is additive and not competitive or not in any way threatening to um, either of us, frankly, because it's a, it's a bit of work. I, 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 I'm personally a fan of a book like uh, rocket fuel that talks mm-hmm. about the difference between visionary and integrator. I identify very much as an integrator, someone who's more about the how than the what. And that kind of a framework has helped me in anything that I've done, whether it's supporting Heidi or supporting Rachel or support, whatever it might be. But it's still a dance. And I'm wondering, you know, is it something that you guys had to be very, very vocal in regular conversation about? Did you approach it in, you know, in drawing it up on paper or, oh. um, or how'd you do it? Because it's, it's hard work to work together and still, um, like each other. Yes. <laughs> I love this topic because it is, it's nuanced. And, um, so first of all, rocket fuel, oh my God, what a book. Dude, when yeah. I say, I think you may have even recommended it to me maybe, but like, I remember reading it thinking, I finally feel valued. Like there was something about, right, where it was like, yes, the rocket gets all the accolades, but the rocket ain't going anywhere without the fuel. And so you fuel people out there who don't get any credit, know that the rocket is literally just an object not moving. And so I was like, oh, thank you. Like, I, cause I was always behind the scenes with Tom. Like as we build even impact theory to people may not know that. Yeah. I was never in front of the camera ever for four years. I think I was just the executive producer and you know president of the company and it was all about content he was in and so I was very much behind the scenes um so yes that book was wildly impactful on me and just how I saw myself um same but so here's there's so many things here to do right, first of all is knowing who's got the skill sets now there might be crossovers in skill sets right so it's identifying what skill sets you have and what things you're because of those skill sets you're going to oversee Because if you are both exactly the same, then one of you is literally insignificant because you are both doing the same thing. So it's okay if you have skill sets that are the same, but you just have to allocate who's like the lead in that because there are going to become a thousand moments where you guys are going to come into conflict, a thousand. And so when you come into conflict, who has decided is the expert in this field and who has final say? So that was one thing with me and Tom is what are the things he oversees? What are the things I oversee? Who has final say in what? Okay. So now we know which departments each of us are overseeing. And now what happens if you have an opinion and you cannot convince the other person? Yeah. So we make all those decisions before we're actually in that situation. So for instance, when it comes to marketing, Mark Tom was the one behind Quest Nutrition. He was the one that was like, look, this new social media thing that no one really knew what we were calling it. He was like, I'm telling you, it evangelizes the people. It puts the power in the people's hands. They're the ones that are going to talk about our product. So he's a marketing genius. So even if I think I've got a better marketing idea, we have established that even if I think I, I'm, I think that sometimes I may have a better idea, he's got more credibility. Okay, great. Yep. He's got more credibility. So do we agree he's the one that has final say? Yes. Okay. What if we're having a discussion and we're going back and forward? What if he says, Lisa, I hear you. And this is in front of the team because we're always very open about our disagreements. Because to me, it's not about the right person. It's about the right idea. So we have these discussions very respectfully in front of our team because we want our team to be a part of it to see who has the better idea. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's neither me or Tom. Maybe it's the intern. That's very possible. And if it is the intern, then hell yeah, we want to hear it. 
That is what we care about. So we have these discussions in front of the team. And then whoever is the one that makes the final say, if the other person still disagrees, the words they must say out loud, and we've pinky swore, you have to say, I disagree, but commit. Oh, wow. I disagree, but commit. Because I love it. Yeah, no, I love it. And tell them because I already know where it's going. And I think this is a fantastic solution. We don't want to be petty, but sometimes as humans, we can be petty. And sometimes when we don't get our way and the other person gets their way, sometimes the pettiness comes out. And sometimes you're like, see, I knew it wouldn't work. I told you. And that's where the pettiness comes in. And that's where now you and your business partner are no longer aligned. Because now one of you is actually glad the other one failed. Yeah. You don't, yes. you don't want to be petty, but let's face it, if we can just be freaking honest. So what we've decided is, is ahead of time, we've got rid of the pettiness and we've just said, do we both want to succeed? Yes. Do we both want the company to succeed? Yes. Are we aligned in that same mission? Yes. So even if I don't go with your idea, don't you want the idea to work? Yeah, you do. So now when you can say that when you don't have the pettiness, when your emotions aren't at that point of being petty, now, when you go into it, you can say it. And that's exact. I've had to say that out loud in front of a team of 20 people where Tom and I were disagreeing. And he said, I've heard you, but I disagree. We're going with my idea in that moment. It doesn't feel good. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't of feel course. good, but we've <laughs> made a promise. And I promised that I would say it. So in saying those words, it's like, okay, I agree, but commit. It's funny. It does something to your mind. Even if you don't want to say it, it actually just reinforces Actually, yeah. And once you've said it, you're kind of proud that you said the hard thing. And now because you're proud you said the hard thing, you really do want it to work out because you were proud of the person because you were the person that said you do want it to work out even though it's not your idea. Oh, man. I love I mean, I just I love it because in some ways it's it's permission to release yourself from some of the emotion that would have been around not being the one whose advice they're taking and moving forward with because of the fact that it was pre-negotiated and it's because it was pre-negotiated yes. that it just alleviates some of the emotion. doesn't mean that you're not going to feel something. Of course mm-hmm. you are, but um, you're going to feel it and be able to move on a lot faster from it. Okay. So there is another interesting thing that I am I'm wondering, and it's uh, it's a little bit because of my own experience in having partnered with someone who'd already been operating inside of a business that I was now joining as an integrator. Mm -hmm. And I refer now to my experience with Rachel and having her have seven, eight, nine years worth of time having built something of a community that I was jumping into back in 2018. The conversation around the jump was something that was very much a, hey, I've got a vision for where I'd hope to have this thing go. I, in a you know, in a Liam Neeson kind of way, have a special set of skills around operations and how you do certain things. How how can I take the vision that you've cast and make it a thing, an integrator? And for the better part of, you know, the first year of trying to be the how person, uh, we had a great thing going. And hey, there's a book that's coming out, but could we also create something in podcast form or social form or We've got events that are coming. Could we maybe film one and turn it into a documentary? Like a whole host of things that might take us from where we were to where we were hoping to go. And along the way, we run into this conversation about the sustainability of the business Mm -hmm. and the question of a bus test. If Rachel wasn't available to be present, would the Hollis company still exist? It was harder for us to answer the question. And so 
we start then thinking a little bit about can we maybe bring in some other voices in creating a podcast network or have other people that regularly speak on stages? And at the same time, I find myself asking myself, hey, might there also be some things that you could do in storytelling because of the way that you are wildly different from the way that she is in motivation? I'm not motivated like her in believing in these resources that we are making available to people. I was skeptical of almost everything. So I felt called in so many ways to kind of also step in and do some work inside of the space that would pull me in front of the typewriter. People use typewriters anymore <laughs> to, to write a book, <laughs> to write a book. You see or how I just love this pod- I'm like, oh yeah, typewriter. I'm so with There's no face. typewriters. There are no typewriters. No, but like, I, I feel this call. Like, hey man, I think I, you know, hey gal, I think I might also have some stories that I can tell or a, a perspective that I can share that might um, also be relatable to people, but not exactly aligned necessarily with yours because I don't wake up every day super motivated and I, I struggle in ways that frankly you don't. And so I feel this draw to come from behind the scenes where I'm doing more of this operational work. And it is something that was hard primarily because Everything that our relationship and that company had been built around was about her as the leading voice and force Mm -hmm. for the company. And I'm curious how your own call to step into the space with Women of Impact, step into the space now with Radical Confidence as a book, was there something that you had to try and confront in it feeling potentially disruptive to something that you'd already had running and working inside of impact theory with Tom as that lead voice and figurehead of the company? Was it just time? It was a thing that you needed to do. How did it come up and how did it, how did it feel navigating? Yeah, Dave, see, this is very, um, it's a really hard thing. And if I can share a little story of where the hard discussion started from, I might give an insight into our transition with, um, with me in front of the camera. Um, so as I was a stay-at-home wife for eight years, taking care of his needs, literally to the point where he woke up in he woke up in the morning, he reaches over his gym clothes are next to his bed. He puts his gym clothes in, his car's full up with with gas. He drives to the gym, he comes back, his his work clothes are waiting by the shower with a clean towel. He gets at the shower, he gets dressed. I hand him his lunchbox as he's like his lunchbox as he's walking out. Like literally, he comes home, his dinner's waiting. I took care of everything. Now, flash forward to, I realize I want to be in business. And yeah. that was one of, that was the hardest conversation because I'd never had a conversation like that before. I told him I wanted to have four children when we first got married. And so now here I am. I don't want to take care of him anymore in the sense of taking, putting his clothes out. And I don't want any children. That, that alone is like, oh, he he has every right, I mean, quote unquote, to divorce me, right? Like I've told him I want four children. I'm changing the game. I'm changing who I am as a wife, as a person, as a partner. And so how do I approach that? And so I really had to pause and I said, okay, what are the things that are important to me? I need him to know that my change in me has no reflection of how much I love him, how much I feel about him. And so I need to make that so clear that to me, me putting clothes out for him and me cooking for him doesn't have an, it doesn't equate to my love for him. So that was really where I first started. Um, I had to just tell him that, hey, look, hopefully you don't think of me putting your clothes out as a sign of loving you. And if I don't do that is a sign of me not loving you, but we need to address it just in case. 
And so that was the first discussion. Oh, sorry, actually, the first thing was how I'm feeling. Transparency. This isn't the blame game. This is nothing to do with him. This is just me. And so I said, babe, for eight years, I haven't told you how unhappy I've been. That's on me. That's not mm. a you thing. Yeah. I've told you, yeah, I'm bored, but I've never actually told you how I feel like I've lost myself. I've lost who I am. I've lost my dreams. I don't get butterflies in my stomach anymore. I don't, you know, that dream when you first met me when I was a, that 21 year old who wants to make movies. I don't know where she's gone. I didn't say any of that to him. So I had to take ownership over the fact that I wasn't telling him how unhappy, unhappy I was. And so that was step one, taking ownership over expressing and really shedding light over the last eight years, but it not being a him thing, it being a me thing. I decided not to share this. Then secondly, why I'm unhappy and what are the things I'm doing that's unhappy? So putting your clothes out, it doesn't fulfill me anymore, babe. I still love you, but it doesn't fulfill me. And why what I'm doing now does. But babe, I never realized I could be this on fire. And yet every day I go into quest and I feel so alive. Just giving, just being transparent about where I was and where I'm feeling. And now saying, I really don't want to put clothes out for you anymore. I don't want to cook mm. for you anymore. Now, look, there's two things here. One, I respect you're going to have a response to this. This isn't a, hey, I'm changing and there's my partner. You got to deal with it. No one wants that. You come to me yep. like that, right? If he came to me like Dave and he was saying to me, Lisa, I'm going to change and you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm like, that's really disrespectful. Like at least show some grace and respect that it might be a bit difficult for me to, and there's going to be a trans, like a, a transformation period right here, transition period. So I was like, give him the grace that I'm the one changing. So that's exactly what I did, babe. I know that I'm the one changing. This is why I'm changing this is how I felt. And now let's move forward. What do you need from me? How can I support you in accepting this change in me? And so one of the things I said to him, Dave, um, and this is a little joke, no joke, but I was like, what if I wean him off me taking care of him? So I basically said, I know that I do this for seven days a week. Now, what if next week I do it six days? And then the week after I do it five, and then we go down to four, and then we go down to three. And that's where that's me showing you the respect that the transition period is maybe going to be difficult, that I'm willing to go and get uncomfortable to help you get through this transition where you've been used to me cooking for you, taking care of for you seven days a week. And now we're doing it together. Now it feels like a partnership in this transformation and this transition. And I was like, I would really appreciate that, babe. How do you feel? And now in this moment, he has an opportunity. And what he said was, was, babe, what kind of husband would I be if I put my comfort ahead of your happiness? Yeah. And so he said, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Let's work through this. And let's, but let's do it together. And then the last piece that I would just add, I said to him is you probably have to mourn. And I had to mourn the wife I thought I was going to be. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the wildness of grief as it relates to an idealized version of how I'd hoped something might yeah. work out, how people generally hoped something might work out. And that's, you know, it's an interesting thing to grieve, but it's also not uh, not necessarily a thing that you can change other than trying to workshop how to work through and 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 past us usually not having a say in how things are necessarily going to work out and embracing how either accepting what now is as the way it will be or 
making a change if what has become is no longer a thing that serves who you are or how you'd hope to be, your values or anything else. Yeah, exactly. And just because, you know, when we're talking about identity, right, just because we're, we're, we're growing or evolving into being someone that we really want to be, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be sad over the things you have to leave behind. Like, and I, I think that we have to think of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm loving my life, you know, and you can't address all these things that maybe you're sad about. I actually think it's important to embrace that duality, to say like, yes, I freaking love being an entrepreneur and I love crushing it in business, but let's not get it twist twisted. I am devastated that I have chosen not to have children. Even now, I love the idea of having kids. The only thing I love more is not having kids. You know, Tom and I joke. <laughs> it's like, but that doesn't mean that I'm not devastated. Like, Dave, I used to dream about the day that I would have a little tongue grown inside me. I, I literally, even now, could get all like giddy at the thought of having a daughter that I can teach to have a better, stronger mindset about herself and have validation within herself, you know, which I didn't. Like I could get excited about that. And to not have that, to give that up because I want something else more, I have to grieve it. And I'm not going to pretend yeah. that like, yes, I'm an entrepreneur and that's what I would born to be and that's what I care about it's like no I think we have to embrace those outsides you know in all of the messiness that comes with making a decision that we know is right but just it's still also difficult to make it's so wild because I've only ever known you as this Lisa mm. you know like what I we met what four three four years yeah. ago I've only ever known you as this Lisa and the idea that that other version of you existed and, of course, was still you, but hadn't had this version who was fully expressed out and available in the world, uh, it's just such a wild idea. Um, I've, I've been having a lot of conversation uh, with, frankly, everyone and anyone, but Heidi most is specifically about the cycles that we as people tend to go through and how... You know, I think they say it's like every seven years, you more or less become a completely mm. different person. But I feel like for myself and certainly for her, I'm sure for plenty of people, the cycles feel accelerated, especially when the world is changing as fast as it feels like it is with technology or big change like COVID, having you have to question all the ways you've ever done everything. And if there isn't maybe a better, different way that you can be or um, just opening yourself up to the possibility of through exposure to new things, wow, I had never thought about that as a thing that I have passion for. I'm going to now pull on that thread and see where it leads. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that this isn't the end of you becoming, right? This is you in a fully actualized form, feeling even more empowered and having more permission to whoever you might become next. I'm gonna, I, I assume that's part of what like the Women of Impact mission ends up being, an invitation for people to open their mind to the possibility that who they are isn't necessarily who they will end up being in a good way. A thousand Talk percent. to me a little bit about that. Yeah, a thousand percent. And like, I, I used to think who I was today is a, you know, reflection of like me, like this is who I am. And this is kind of who I'm always going to be. And I got teased for my looks and I got teased for, um, you know, I was mildly dyslexic, so I still get my B's and my D's mixed up and my G's and my J's, you know, and so being bullied and teased for that, I used to think, oh my God, I've just got to hide that part of me, not realizing that I'm an evolving person. And 
because I never used to have that mindset, I definitely was protecting my ego, right? Because I didn't want to try anything because I was so worried about failing because I thought failure meant actually something about me. And the great, amazing thing is, is I realized I actually was right, but not in the way that I thought. Failure does mean something about you. It means that you're trying. It means that you care about your life enough to put yourself out there. That's what failure means. And I love that. And so when I think about who I'm trying to become, I almost don't pressure myself anymore in the sense of like, I could say something right now and yeah, it's saying it still may not compute with how I feel and that's okay. And that's obviously being on camera, as you know, Dave, it's just difficult, right? Because people are going to hold something. Well, you said this two years ago. And so I just make it a point to guys go to, to people, guys, I hope you see the person I am now is ever evolving. So I better hope that in five, five minutes, in five years, I look back and be like, oh yeah, that was my old way of thinking because I pride myself on being the person that evolves. Now, why do I do that? Because I don't actually think, I don't actually have conviction or confidence in who I am today. And by saying, by just giving me like the, the get out of jail free card of like, but at least it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is how you show up today and how you're you know what skill you're trying to learn and who you're trying to become and with that new mindset it then pushes me to want to always evolve and not get trapped in anything like I even in fact Dave can I bring something up it was you bring it up it was you so we were at a, a beautiful event with a bunch of all of our friends and I was telling Tommy has to write a book and he he got a book deal and I asked all but that you, I don't know if you remember. So he got a big deal a long time ago. And he was like, well, I don't know if I want to write a book. I don't know if I want to write a book. And I said, you have to write a book. Like, it's going to be amazing. You have to write a book. It'll be amazing. And so I turned to you and a bunch of our very influential friends. And I was like, guys, don't you think Tom has to write a book? And you, Dave Hollis, you stood up and you're like, well, Lisa, in front of everyone, does Tom want to write a book? And I was like, oh, crap. I didn't even ask him. I didn't even <laughs> ask him. And so he turned around, he's like, not really. And I was like, wow, thank you. Now, look, in that, he said, but maybe next year I do, but maybe the year after I do. But right now, I don't. And so take it for what it's worth. We're not the types of people that put something in stone and like make a declaration. Because as you evolve, the way you think evolves, you learn, you grow. And so who you are today does not dictate who you can become. And so to be dogmatic in the way that you think, in the way that you show up, um, I just think ho can hold you back. And I don't remember, sorry, what yeah. you even asked, what question you asked, but. <laughs> no, no, oh no. Well, I was making the face because I thought you were going to tell me that he was actually going to write the book that he is, every single time <laughs> I've ever talked to him said, I'm never writing that book. <laughs> that was my face. <laughs> um, it's so wild. So I, I have just like a standing catch up with my publisher, not my publisher, my, my uh, literary agent. And it happened to be this morning. And, you know, there's a few things that have been going on in my life and having just pulled back from kind of everything to inventory, what the heck I want to do. Mm. And, and she was just checking to see like, hey, how are things? What's going on? And I just represented, man, I feel so good for so much of what has happened. I hate that I tend to have to learn things the absolute hardest way, but I am so grateful for being the beneficiary of learning so much. And it's a really interesting thing in feeling like I'm so much more connected to who I am and processing a whole bunch of things that had just not necessarily been processed in marriage and divorce and just my wiring and my insecurities and my whatever that I'm closer to. Man, good news. I've got a lot of instructive uh, detail that I get to spend the rest of my life working on. 
Um, but I brought it up in part because I was like, you know, she's asking, when are you going to write your next book? Mm. And I was like, here's the thing. Uh, I know you get paid when I write books, but also uh, I am not sure that I'm going to write another book until I have spent so much more time understanding who I am and feel so impassioned that like the only way that I can grow as a person is to put myself into the process of writing again, because as much as I still am just so overwhelmingly proud of the couple of books that I have put out, I look back on Get Out of Your Own Way, and there's some stuff that I just do not think in that same way about because I continue to become a different person mm -hmm. over time. The like the book that just came out a year ago, Built Through Courage, I, I love it. I was so proud of it. And I can say now, objectively speaking, writing a book that close to my divorce was really um, like it was helpful in my healing journey and it was cathartic. And also, I probably could have put together a better book if I had actually spent some more time processing um, the things that only get processed in time having passed. Like I think so much differently about um, myself and relationship attachment and, and so much, not that I got so deep into it, but, and she said, and I think this is a, like a great thing for anyone to hear who creates at all, especially if you end up creating anything on social or in a book or a video, she said, look, the things that you expressed in that book at that time were very meaningful, very relevant, very much a reflection of your heart at that time. And as much as some of them to you may not age perfectly because of the way that you continue to grow, the content may meet someone today or five years from now exactly where they are in their journey in a way that unlocks something that they needed to hear on that day to have it unlocked. And so I thought, you know what? I can honor the fact that anything that we create, any opinion that we have, anything that we know at the time that we express it, it's worthy of being expressed. It's worthy of being shared. And also, I'm, a, I'm not a static being. The things I believed 10 years ago, five year, years ago, or two weeks ago are going to be in some ways to me outdated because of the way that I hope to continue to grow every single day for the rest of my life. And the next time I'm going to write a book is going to be when it feels like it is um, the only and best way for me to continue my journey of growing. And certainly I, I feel right now, just because of how much I feel like I've gotten out of this last crazy six months of um, kind of really stepping on my own foot in some respects, but then also taking some time away to understand why uh, I just want to take even more time to understand as much as I can about myself before I'd ever try and put it into words. Anyway, uh, enough about me. No, no, this. no, no. I, that was so powerful. Your... Can I just add something on everything you just said? Of course. So um, self-awareness is literally the thing that if, if anyone wants to start any journey, I think it starts there. Is like being so aware of yourself and why you do what you do with no judgment. Like you even said, like, I, I can't, I wish I had the exact words that you just said, but it was something like, like, I know myself that I always have to learn the high, hard way. And it's like, you know what? Maybe that's your thing. And you just have to learn a hard way. And the most amazing thing is, is that you do learn. And so in moments of those hardships, I would say, okay, like, when it's hard, like I always try to reframe things in my mind because in those moments of hardship, you do, you can beat yourself up, right? Of that negative thoughts of all the things that spiral. Oh my God, I can't believe I've done this again. I'm here again, whatever. But 
what I now do in moments like that. And I'm like, oh, you're here again. Okay, no worry. Like, like do it in like, you know, the lightheart, like lighthearted as much as you can. But a reminder that, oh, this is how you learn. Okay, so this is the class. This is the lesson. This is the masterclass right here. Yeah. Because I think we put so much judgment on how we've messed up or who's seen the mess up or how many times we've messed up or what the distance is from one mess up to another mess up, right? It's like, oh my God, like, it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And to be honest with me and the book Radical Confidence, the very first key is in each situation, I just self-assess like, oh, you're insecure. Okay. Oh, you're, you know, feeling uh, imposter syndrome. Okay. That's fine. Like I literally just like, oh, you fall, you're falling on your knees and made the same mistake for the 10th time. That's okay. Like, it's like that self-awareness piece is so important as the first step because then you go, and now what, right? It's like, oh, you've messed up. And now what? Now you can fix it. Now you can put steps into how you can change it. But at least for me, before I was able to do that, if I would mess up, if I would make a mistake, I would just beat myself up. And that voice in my head becomes crippling. And so now, kind of going to what you were saying about um, the self-assessment piece, because it was so hard for me to ask, after eight years, is this the life I still want? Right? It took me eight years to even ask that question. Eight years. I refuse to even go like eight months without asking myself. So now I have a, um, a chapter in my book that says, open the can of worms and embrace the ick, which means opening up the can of worms is asking the hard questions and embracing the ick is answering them and then dealing with all the messiness that comes with it. Ooh, that's good. So even now, so I don't go for so long without kind of getting blindsided. Even now, probably every quarter, I ask myself all the hard questions that I don't want to ask myself. Like, do I still want to be business partners with my husband? I still ask myself that like every few months because I never want to assume, I never want to get into a pattern where all of a sudden three years from now, I've been giving myself all reason and excuses and pushing off that something was unsettling. And now before you know it, I'm just, I've, I've hit what, you know, I've hit the wall and I'm like, yeah. we no longer want to be business partners anymore. And that's that. So I give myself the grace to ask myself the hard questions on a regular basis and answer them clearly. So do I still want to be behind the scenes? Do I still want to be the fuel? And the answer, Dave, was no. That's how I ended up starting to step in front of the camera. That was the question. That was that the question. <laughs> hey, we got, we got back around. <laughs> this is so good. By the way, though, I mean, like this as a golden nugget in this conversation right here for anyone who's listening is the difference between waking up and wondering where the last 10 years yes. went in literally anything. I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm at a really hard time taking uh, the news that, oh, Rachel didn't want to be married to me any longer. And it took a long time for me to appreciate that she had the courage to address something that I would never allow myself to even ask the question of. And now uh, not that there's, you know, like I can't change it. So there's no, no need to regret any part of it. I'm happy, honestly, that everything has happened as it has, but the learning is, Hey Dave, could you maybe have the courage to confront the things that you don't really want to know the answer to every once in a while so that you can stop 
wasting time inside of suffering that is unnecessary. And uh, that just what you're saying right there of like scheduling an appointment to have to look in the mirror with some of the things that you may not even like the answer to. If you got to an answer of, oh, I don't want to still be in this role that supports Tom, how might Tom respond to that? Might it create friction where there'll be discomfort? Well, yeah, it might. But by answering the question, you afford yourself freedom and and an actual path to something that is more aligned in why you're here and what will fill you up than waking up five years from now wondering why you hadn't written the book sooner, why you hadn't been on camera sooner, why you hadn't been doing the work that you're here to do sooner. I love it. My goodness. And like you said, when if you schedule it or give yourself permission and you tell your partner, now it kind of takes away a bit of the guilt that you kind of find yourself where like, like for instance, if you're in a marriage and you ask yourself, do I want to get a divorce? Like sometimes you feel guilty even just asking that in your head. So in trying to eliminate the guilt, it's like Tom and I just say out loud, oh yeah, we just think about our business, our marriage, our relationship every month, every few months, we reassess, we ask all the hard questions. And usually on like dates and stuff, if we're like going to go out and have some fun, like we take the hard questions with us. Now, this is very delicate. You have to find the right time and the right mood and you have to be bonded. But we will ask ourselves, like some of my favorite relationship questions to ask each other is, um, what did I used to do for you that I stopped doing that you want me to do again? Or um, what's the one thing you thought um, you would have in a wife that I don't have? Oh, that's hard Ooh. to ask him. Ooh. But here's the thing. I don't ask, like I ask him because I really want to know. I don't want him to feel secrets. And if he says something like, oh, I wish you had, I had the six foot wife. Well, sorry, you can't, you can't do anything about that, right? But if you're like, oh, I wish I had, you know, I kind of wanted, you know, when I was a kid, I dreamt of a wife, like just like every so often surprising me under the covers in the morning, right? Like whatever. So, okay, at least I know. It doesn't mean I have to yeah. do it, but now at least I know. And that's kind of where we try to do in our relationship is give each other the, 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 the space to say the hard thing and it not be about them specifically, if you know what I mean. And it just allows, yep. like like with the business. It's like, babe, if Tom was like, you know, I'm not sure we, we should be in business anymore. I would be like, oh my God, why? Like, let's talk through this. What's the problem? But you have to ask yourself because the second you put it off, you feel guilty. And then what happens is you don't say anything. You don't say anything. Years go by and then you blurt it out and there's no, you know, there's the point of no return. One of the things I love about you guys, like you just have this willingness to, I I remember the, like a line that you said at one point, and then I realized how much I was uh, a person who allowed it to accumulate. Like, let's never let dust accumulate. Mm -hmm. Let's always be kind of like cleaning the little things up by confronting them so that it never gets to a place where it's so dirty, it can't be cleaned. And, and there, so there's something about your, just your willingness, even though it feels really uncomfortable to me to have to be this direct, to just be direct with, Hey, this is how this made me feel was one of the exercises. I know you guys Mm -hmm, have talked about mm -hmm. plenty and that just like as a vehicle to never let anything fester, always be, um, you know, a, a real time reflection of what, you know, you are perceiving to be their intention, even though, of course, it may not have been uh, as a remedy for anything small becoming big. But I also love this thing about you guys, which is like, once you do put things on the table and agree that this is what you're going to do, your follow up question being no bullshit, what would it take? Like, yeah, <laughs> there is something about that, that like, you know, even like the pursuit of the business, right? Like it would take your decision as it turns out because of the way that you want to pursue it 
to also not have kids as a, as a thing that would come with it, which is obviously an incredibly difficult trade-off because of the way that you've described your dreams, your passion, whatever, for wanting to have kids at some point in your life and having to hold space for both, that not being a thing if you also, and more, or, and more importantly, are more interested in the first. But that idea of like, well, what's it gonna take? I don't know that we all necessarily approach life with that kind of a question asking, uh, methodology for lack of a better word. And I just, I dig that about you guys. Thank you. Yeah. It really was just like, let's get on the same page and that we're moving forward together. So we look at every situation and we say, what is the goal? Do we align with the goal? Do we agree on what the goal is? If we both say yes, because you have to both verbally agree to what that goal is, because now, you know, if you keep that in head, whether it's in business or whether you a relationship. You both go, okay, this isn't serving us, right? Right. This isn't serving the goal, right? Right. Okay. So now together, do we both agree we need to do something to fix this? Yes. Okay, great. Now what do we both think we should do to fix this? And it becomes the transparency because if you're both aligned, then you're both just trying to figure it out together. And like the best analogy I can use is like a game of tennis, right? I think so many of us accidentally in a relationship play tennis play singles we're on one side and our partner's on the other right and we bounce the ball back and forward but what you don't realize is actually you've got different goals each of you are trying to win not both of you can and what i say is my relationship with tom is like a game of doubles we're on the same side of the net we both have the goal to win together and what happens is is that you both have each other's backs so that if he misses the ball i got you if I miss the ball, he's got me. If I mess up, if I don't practice one day, if we can keep with the analogy, right? If my skill sets have like kind of flumbered a bit because I haven't really practiced, well, he's going to, as my partner, help me get better. And so that becomes when you're in a relationship, if you can see things that clearly that you're both working towards the same thing and you agree, then it just becomes finding the right path to get there. And so anytime you find conflict, it becomes a you know, you get back together, you say, okay, we don't seem aligned. You're pushing in this direction. I'm pushing in this. How do we get back aligned? Because whatever um, implementations, whatever rules, whatever, you know, guide you put in, you need to both be on the same page. So for instance, Tom and I, we both agree we're going to have a relationship together. and We're both going to build a business together, but we have to agree, number one, which one comes first. Because imagine I put my business first and he puts our relationship first. That won't work. So you both have to agree. Then you have to agree of what that actually looks like. As in, if I need you as your wife, I may call you. You can ignore me if you're in a business meeting. As your wife, if I call you the second time, you can ignore me as your business meet in a business meeting. I'll never call you three times as your business partner. But as your wife, if I call you three times, that means your wife needs you. And so now yep. it's like, if I call him twice, he may be like, oh, I'm in a business meeting. Maybe it's my business partner. I'm not answering it. If the phone rings the third time, what that tells him immediately is, oh my God, my wife needs me. I am going to answer this phone. Or he works way more than I do. Way more. He works like 120 hours a week. It's insane. Like He's a machine. Yeah, he's a machine. I cap at like 65 and I, I feel like a freaking worse at 65. But like having rules where it's like, okay, babe, you want to go this hard. You can go this hard. But what we're going to do is collectively, we're going to put in strategies and tools in our relationship so that we can make sure we protect our relationship from our business. So that means when I'm off duty, when Lisa's off duty, you can't come to me with a business question. Now, of course, how do you know, especially in COVID, when one of you is off duty or not? It's hard, right? 
Yeah. So he would come to me. I would be off duty. He would walk in the room and he's like, babe, I just got this one work question. And I'm like in the middle of watching friends trying to, you know, like de-stress. And I'm just like, really, you're coming to me with an HR question. And so I would start to get frustrated. And what that happens is you start colliding. And when you start colliding, when it's like there's that kind of murky waters where it's like between the relationship and the business, it then the arguments then to spill into from kind of work into personal. So I couldn't have that. And he couldn't have that because we agreed our our personal lives is our main priority. So we need a strategy. Do we agree we need a strategy? Yes. Great. You suggest the strategy. I'll suggest the strategy. And whoever has the best idea wins. So we both come to the table. What's your idea, babe? He ended up not having one. My idea was like one of those Brazilian restaurants where, you know, you can say, I want meat or no meat. So I was like, okay, this is going to be our rule. It's going to be like my light switch, my lamp. If I'm off duty, I'm going to switch my lamp on. And when you, if you walk in, you see my lamp is on, that means I'm off duty. And if you don't see it's on, then you can come and ask me a work question. So he was like, okay. And I was like, do you agree that this is a good solution? So you have to get the person to agree on the strategy because you can't be butting heads on the strategy either. So he's like, okay, that's a good idea. Let's try it. So the very next day, dude, he walks into the room and he like opens the door. He's like, babe, I love you. And then he turns around and walks back out and closes (laughs) the door because he sees the lamp switches on. So now what happens? I feel respected. I feel like he's heard me. I feel as my husband and my business partner, we've now collectively figured out a way to help us our dynamic and my mental state. It's so good. It's so, I mean, like, it's so interesting because everyone has a different set of rules of engagement that are necessary. Not everyone is building the next Disney, but you guys are. And because you are, there are extremes in work, but also a desire to preserve the relationship, which of course means you need things like this to make it work. I I love it. I love you guys. Uh, You have a book that's come out. I think this will come out the Thursday after this Beautiful birth of a book has taken place. It is such a surreal, awesome, wonderful thing to create something, nurture it, bring it out into the world. And uh, it's also, I'm sh- like, it's every emotion. I don't know. It's like mostly excitement and also mildly terrifying. Uh, but tell people who uh, absolutely 100% need to get their hands on this book because it is a fantastic book, what you'd hope for them to take away from Radical Confidence. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you so much. So guys, guys, I'm telling you, I've been there. I've had the life where I literally thought that um, I was powerless. I didn't think that I had the right to speak up. And this book really hopefully gives the steps, even when you're scared, even when you don't have the confidence. That's the whole point is that you can't wait to feel confident to do things. You have to actually do things in order to create competence so that you feel confident. But how do you take that first step? It is deciding that you are the hero of your own life. And that means putting on your freaking cape, getting radical confidence and taking that first step into becoming the hero of your own life. So that's really what let the book us is go. Yeah. Let's go, Lisa. Come on. This is so cool. It's so great. Uh, I mean, I'm a humongous fan, too, of everything that Impact Theory does. Thank so there you. is bias in my <laughs> recommending that people also immerse themselves in your world. But to just for a second, Women of Impact as a compliment to... Uh, I mean, it's standalone, just an amazing thing. Forget compliment. It happens to compliment what Tom might be up to, but it doesn't need to. It's awesome on its own. Tell me just a little bit about the mission of the work and the kind of guests you have so that uh, anyone who's here 
there's a, a large female audience that listens to this Rise Together podcast. I am certain that they would be filled up by the work that you're doing inside of Women of Impact. Oh, thank you. It's such a joy for me. It took me so long to really get in front of the camera. Tom, basically, I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to do it virtual, just over audio. My husband was like, babe, we have a studio. Babe, we've got six cameras and a crane. Like, why the hell are you not? <laughs> just filming and I was like oh god okay and I realized it was because I was petrified it's because I felt insecure to get in front of the camera and so I actually talk about that in the book as well of how I stepped in front of the camera how the negative voice kept trying to tell me don't do it again Lisa you're going to embarrass yourself because I messed up so badly um and so that's also important for me to just say if you go back to like the very first episode I like forget to say who I am in the intro I mean it is a terrible nightmare um but the point of the show is to to interview incredible women to show that none of us are perfect to show that we all have different backgrounds we all have different stories to tell and we all have different paths that we've taken and how do we show up every day and be a woman of impact in our own lives and so I have people all the way from therapists psychologists to celebrities to just any woman that has done something that I think is amazing I'm like I need to talk to you and that is fueling my heart like that is the thing that I will keep doing that show up until I feel like I don't learn and that was a great way of like going how do I grow how do I show up every day how do I do better and it's to make sure I'm number one I'm the number one student in my own life and I'm giving myself the fuel yeah and so the show, just talking to incredible women, having discussions like this with you, like it's so meaningful to me. And I think that we talk so that we can understand, not so that we can be understood. And I don't Ooh, know. If, that's good. I don't know if you felt like that with the book, but literally by the end of the book, I was like, I understand myself now. Right? It's like, oh, it's- no, for sure. It totally comes through. It's so good. I, I love you saying it because it's exactly the experience. But um, but I just love that also just as a reminder for anyone who is creating the, that idea is a thing that you ought to lead with every time. Mm-hmm. All right. For we're, we're wrapping up. I, I don't want to wrap up, but we have to wrap up. Okay. Uh, we end every episode with a similar question. That is if there was a single takeaway, if there was a single thought, idea, question, actionable piece of advice, just one thing that you could leave listeners with that might afford them permission, breakthrough, peace, something that you believe that they need to hear today, what is that single thing you want to leave with our crew? Okay. All right. So the biggest lesson for me is thinking about the voice in your head, the person right now that you're just listening to this. What's that voice in your head saying? What's all the negative things that they're telling you that you can't do? I call that the B-I-T-C-H in my head. And the biggest lesson was me turning her into my best friend. And what I mean by that Mm. is the critic in that head of yours, what if it was your coach? What if you could listen to her or him and take, take the voice and say, instead of it being detrimental to me, how can I actually use this to empower me? And if you can listen, for me, it was the voice saying, Lisa, don't get in front of the camera. Don't do your show, Women of Impact. You don't know what you're doing. Now, that could have been detrimental to me. That could have held me back. But what I said is, what if it was my best friend? A best friend cares about me, right? A best friend really wants me to do well. A best friend's going to tell me the hard things. All right, bestie, why shouldn't I get in front of the camera? And she said, because you keep messing up. You don't know how to do an introduction. You don't know how to do an outro. And so I listened 
And I was like, maybe she's right. And then by listening, she taught me I needed to be prepared. I needed to have a quote card under the A camera as a backup plan. I needed my safety net. I needed a plan B. And I needed to give myself the grace that it was my day one and that I can learn. And so right now, I really want people to take a listen to that voice in their head. Put your arm around it. Give it a big squishy hug. And maybe listen to the message it's trying to send you. Because if you can actually take it as in, with ease and you can take it like it's your best friend, maybe it's teaching you something that you just actually need to hear. So good. Also, by the way, one of the journeys, one of the roads to confidence is preparation, is thinking through some of those things that are most likely to happen, as in you're not going to be good when you start and owning it in something that is a reflection of self-awareness to me has always been like the invitation to go do it anyway and uh, build some confidence because of being equipped to walk in with a little more awareness of what it was going to be like. Ah, so good. Lisa Bilyeu, you are a, a good human. One of my faves. Thank uh, you, I mean, I love you without Tom. I love you with Tom. Mm. I love you uh, on a Wednesday. I love you on a Thursday. <laughs> I am so grateful for your time, but I also am hopeful that anyone who's listening now will grab your book, Radical Confidence. It is just out. Look for the pink, which is uh, emblazoned on the cover uh, and very much on brand for this uh, Lisa in real time. Uh, if anyone does not currently follow you or uh, know where to find Women of Impact, where do you send people on the uh, internet to find you, to follow you, anything and everything? Yeah, thank you. So if they want the book, they can go to radicalconfidence.com or Amazon or anywhere the books are sold. If they want to follow me, they can follow me at Lisa Billu and um, also Women of Impact on podcasts. But I really do focus on the visuals. So I'm definitely on YouTube. That's kind of where I post the interviews and really put the time and effort. But I just want to say, Dave, like, I love you and thank you so much for showing up as you always do. Like, dude, it's, it's impressive. None of us have easy lives. Um, but when we go through struggle, I think that the struggle is inevitable for all of us in different ways, shapes, and forms. And I think that a true testament is how we will handle those struggles when they actually happen. And you are always such a beautiful person in your heart in your soul and I know how much good you want to bring to the world and how you fight to show up every day for yourself as well as for others and I just admire it I adm admire the perseverance I admire that you're willing to show up as you um, and talk about it and be vulnerable and I don't admire perfection I don't um strive for perfection. I don't think that helps or serves anyone. You're in good luck here, Lisa. You are in good luck because perfection will never be a part of this. <laughs> the fact that you still show up, right? And so do I. And that's like, it's, it's important to really acknowledge because we do want to get validation from people. We want to get the pat on the back because it feels good. And it's hard when, you know, when we struggle and, you know, I've been through so many things in my own life and to know, um, to get back up every time is difficult. And I, yeah, I just want to thank you for being a true friend. And <sighs> you're so kind. Thank you. Uh, I just, I appreciate you. I appreciate the community of friends that we have. I appreciate those words. I, um, I said it off. I think I said it off camera before we started, but like as much as like, I wouldn't uh, opt necessarily for struggle. 
I'm super grateful for where I'm at and wouldn't necessarily change any of the good that ends up coming out of it because I don't know that I'd be as connected to every single thing that I now understand about myself and the way that understanding it equips me to better impact people um, if I hadn't had to, you know, go through stuff. Even the self-inflicted, sabotage kind of ridiculousness, I still find a way to find some kind of gratitude for it because, man, it has just created so much understanding. There's just so much knowing that wouldn't have otherwise availed itself. I keep saying, I wish I didn't have to learn the things the hardest freaking way, but guess what? Some of those things are true blessings that my kids would be the beneficiary of me understanding and becoming something different and better from and, um, and everything else. So thank you. I so appreciate it. I so appreciate you. I'm so excited about your book being out. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have to say goodbye to Lisa Bilyeu, but uh, I hope you'll check her book. I hope that you'll uh, give her a follow on the social and dive into her YouTube channel, everything else uh, between now and next week. If you like this episode, take a picture of it, tag the both of us on social, and tell every human you've ever met that it was uh, a good thing in your life today. And between now and next week, make a friend with that voice in your head. See if it isn't trying to tell you something about how you can be a little bit more prepared for what you're walking toward, build a little confidence for some part of who you're supposed to be. We will see you next week on this Rise Together podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate you. Thank you. Peace out, guys. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. 